podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. One. ¿Qué pasa, campeones? So welcome to the Churros y Tácticas Podcast. It is Monday, February 8th, and we are here to talk about what happened over the weekend in the world's best and most entertaining football league in the world where the club, my club, the club of all clubs, a club who recent times has made more headlines worthy of YouTube conspiracy theories, a club without institu institutional leadership since October, a club without a president, a club in economical crisis and with a large portion of the public's opinion against it, with detractors coming from other clubs, from other leagues, trying to destabilize the team ahead of crucial Champions League clashes. But in the meantime, folks... Kumon and this group of brave men keep on trucking, keep taking care of business, and keep taking names while doing it. And having me fall in love, or maybe fall, I mean, I've always been in love with my club, of course, but at least fall in admiration and sheer adoration for this current crop of players. Regardless of what will happen at the end of the season, this group has already surpassed my expectations, and I'm very thankful for it. And of course, Here to discuss this and a little bit of white noise coming from the nation's capital is the founder of this fantastic podcast, Kian Sobani. And if you like what you're hearing, if you're here listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Wow, great intro. Love, I love everything you said because it's all true. This is a season in turmoil for Barcelona and we are talking about you doing the intro with that much enthusiasm enthusiasm i can't i can't uh, i can't wait until barcelona actually gets their shit together to see how, how big your head's <laughs> gonna get um everything's good here white noise in the capital white stuff here there's a massive snowstorm which means my kids are home right. from daycare so mm -hmm. if they barge into this and get into the video i'm that's out of my control we will welcome that um We, you know, you just kind of did the intro. We both won it, but I guess it's because you're second place. So yeah, it adds up. So congratulations. So this is the narrative right now is that Barcelona are, um, they, they've discovered something, they, something intangible, the comeback fighting spirit, all that stuff. It's been a couple yeah, games yeah. now. We did not get a chance to record after the Granada game, obviously. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the big moment, momentum swing for a lot of people. I was skeptical about it, but um, I will say like how many, I think six, at least six, right? Away games in a row you guys have won. Is it more? You can correct me on that. So listen, listen, I mean, I was saving this for a little bit later, uh, but if you want, we can get into this right now because you're right to point it out. It's damn right impressive, Kian. I, I had to look at it myself as well, just to go over the numbers and take a, you know, take a minute just to pause here uh, and appreciate really what this team is currently doing. Uh, and that's coming from me, somebody who's always critical uh, of what I'm seeing from my boys out on the, out on the pitch. And I'm going to run this by you. Like I said, I had prepared it for a little bit later on. But since you're already bringing it up, since the draw against Eibar, which was at home in the Camp Nou, right? Barca played away against Huesca, one. Atleti Club, one. So let me, let me, I'll mention which one's away, right? Huesca away and a win. Atleti Club away and a win. Granada away and a win. Real Sociedad away and a win. Now, mind you, Uh, then Barca Atleti Club away and a win. I count these. These are Supercopa matches, okay? Um, 
and of course against Athletic Club, they lost in the final. Then Copa del Rey, away and a win. Those last three that I just mentioned, Real Sociedad, Athletic Club, and Cornellà, all going extra time. Um, Elche, it continues, right, in this order. Elche away and a Barça win. Rayo Vallecano away, Barça win. Barça at home against Athletic Club, a win. Granada away, extra time and a win. Real Betis away and a win. A comeback as well. This is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the fifth comeback as well so far for Barça this season. Um, I mean, you know, again, and, 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 and I guess when I sort of, this when this realization beset me, I had to kind of, you know, prepare this intro and, and really kind of just pay my respects because, like I said, I'm always very critical of uh, this this team and, and, and particularly when they play a style of football that is not, you know, entirely to my liking. But looking at this, looking at what this team is achieving, um, second place in the league now, you know, seven-point gap. Of course, yes, Atletico de Madrid have now two games in hand. Uh, hopefully everybody stays healthy. I think they have five or six coronavirus cases at the moment over there. It's 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 bad. If you go to uh, like the, into the Calderon website on SB Nation, it's depressing. Uh -huh. It's uh -huh. like every single article is an update about a new <laughs> COVID nineteen. I saw Jeremy Barron's tweet uh, yeah. where he was like, "Yeah, that, that, that looks bad." But you know, you're looking at that, and and you just got to tip your hat off at some point and say, you know what, it might be. Not exactly according to my liking. Some wins might be grinded out, you know, in, in a little bit more uh, less fancy, a little uglier uh, of a, a fashion, a little uglier style of play. But you got to give credit where it is due. And, and that was my tribute to Kuman and his work of, of this team because it's impressive, man. Yeah, but you know what? I would argue that, um, you know, there's, there's one way to win the league and that is to dominate every single game and just destroy all your opponents like um, like Barca did in the sextuple season. But there's also another way, which to me is obviously not as aesthetically breathtaking, but to me just as satisfying, or at least like just slightly less satisfying, and, but still very satisfying. And that is the way like Real Madrid won the league in 2007 under Capello, where it was like not pretty, but it felt so good to just have those comebacks over and over and over again. And just that fighting spirit. It's really satisfying to watch your team yeah, win that way. It is because, okay, yeah. we can, sometimes we can't control all the talent that we have on the team. There are ups and downs, but if you have like all your players, just putting every single ounce of energy on the field, it makes you proud. Right. So it's, it's satisfying. Um, now Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. don't think that's going to sway your prediction about that. you winning the league, obviously. Um, however, there was a little jump here for, for Barca, which is nice to see. And obviously you want, you want that momentum to keep rising against PSG. Um, when you, when you said that um, there's uh, there's other outside forces trying to cause turmoil, were you referring to the Leon? Uh, was it the president or the, the manager who was saying the stuff about Kuman? That's what you were referring to. Well, that's just one of one more example, and not so much Lyon because um, uh, I read the president's statements, and he talked about how Kuman obviously was not shy to talk about the pie. Uh, yeah. I was more talking about the France football cover that came out today, where I don't know if you saw Kian no. France football or or is of course the the prestigious magazine that that awards the Ballon d'Oro. Uh, they came out with Messi on the cover wearing a PSG shirt. Just shameless. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. 
So, you know, more of that stuff and just a lot of the stuff you're hearing from the French capital over from Paris where, you know, everybody and the janitor are talking about at any given opportunity, you know, about Messi coming over to, to, to play for Paris. So it uh, wasn't so much aimed at, at Lyon. I think, you know, that uh, I forget the president's name, but uh, he has you know, in his own right, of course, an argument there talking about, well, why is Kuman complaining now when it's involving one of his players? He wasn't scared when uh, they asked him about, uh, uh, you know, Depay. Having said that, you know, all that noise coming from Paris, I, I actually like it because I think it's going to, it's helping this team in front of our eyes, uh, you know, bring this group of players together and create this kind of unity as well as the extra times, as well as the comebacks, these hard-fought wins. I think also a lot of that outside noise uh, is reported from within the Messi camp that he's absolutely sick of uh, hearing, uh, the, you know, the, the, the PSG entourage, let's call them, uh, talk about his possible arrival to the club. And this is, you know, being reported by, by sources from Marca, so they wouldn't necessarily would you know want that news to leak out, I guess, or... or, or publish that sort of news uh but i think it's helping this team i think it's helping create this sort of fighting spirit and bond and and, and again regardless of what happens in, at the end of the season where messi will go where what will trophies will be won or not uh i think you know this in this moment of the season and, and of course kian you know just how important february is each and every single year uh, in in a, a season of football because everything accumulates, right? You have the Liga, you have the Copa del Rey that reaches the latter stages. You got the Champions League that then the knockout phase uh, starts again. So this is such a crucial month, and I think it's coming, you know, at, at the right time to uh, bring this sort of um, yeah, again, unity to this group of players that you can see it out on the pitch as well. I mean. You know the. Uh, I gotta. T- I gotta tell you, man. I I, I got a little emotional uh, seeing Messi. You know, give a sort of fatherly hug to Trincao after uh, he scored the winner and 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 things of that nature and Kuman as well. So I'm I'm happy, man. I'm I'm you know like they've exceeded. Like I said, they've already exceeded my expectations. Put it that way. So let me just say also. I only. I don't really. I'm not one of those people that believe that you have to absolutely focus on youth team players and shoehorn them all in. Um, you know, this is a complaint that many Real Madrid fans have have had since I was born, basically. You know, over the past two decades, why didn't we give players like Soldado and Negredo a chance and the list goes on. And my answer was like, because, I, you know, we want good players. We don't care about their, if they're young or old, if they're from Spain, from Brazil, from China, who cares? And I, I think mo- in most cases, Real Madrid's youth products weren't good enough to crack the team. But Mm. I will say, you know, there are certain generations that are outliers to that. And I think like what's happening with Barcelona now in that, you know, PK is injured. So you have Mingueza, you have Araujo stepping in by necessity. And all of a sudden, like you have this Pedri. So we'll talk about Pedri and Pooch in a sec because Pooch had a great game, I thought, against Betis. But I think like it's really satisfying to, you know, when your club, is like out of desperation, out of necessity, has no choice but to promote young players because the squad is thin or whatever reason, you start to see these things that get you really excited. So this goes back to Quinta del Buitre when Alfredo Di Stefano in the 80s was the manager. The team was shit. He was desperate. They couldn't sign players. All of a sudden, he promotes like the entire Castilla team. And what the hell? They're amazing, right? And they go on this domestic dynasty. And then you, you talk about like that season when Real Madrid had Solari. 
and like nothing was really working or clicking offensively. And I was scored. thinking about that. Yeah. yeah Regulon, Marcos Llorente and Vinicius, those three, all of a sudden that, that season was terrible. It was a disaster, but it became fun in some aspects to see those three players thrown into yeah. the fire. Um, I feel like with Barca, you're kind of seeing, you know, the the rise of like where it's like Pedri, um, Araujo, Mingueza, Puch finally uh, has been unshackled and unchained in these in the last couple games. But really, this was the first. Was this his first start of the season? Must have been right in the league anyway. Uh, don't call me honest, but I was yeah in the league for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, there's that there's that silver lining in those situations. So I also want to say, Puch was. I don't know. You probably know better than me what the backstory of why he wasn't playing, whether it was the club politics or whatever. If that's put behind everybody now, and all of a sudden you get Pooch in midfield, taking even minutes from that that Pjanic would previously have taken, and there's that whole that Pjanic thing. You're tied to him for a few more years, contract-wise, anyway. But if he starts taking those Pjanic minutes, even I think this Barcelona team actually gets really exciting. Well, listen, I'm I'm really quite pleased uh, to hear you talk you know, good words and to say these things about Pooch because from what I saw on social media, um, again, bad place, of course, to go for opinions uh, when it comes to ball or anything of that, anything for that matter. But yeah, I, I was surprised to see him catch a lot of heat um, and people talking really? about how, yeah, how... Don't go to social media for your... Only go to Churros y Tacticas <laughs> for facts. Yeah, right, exactly. Ignore social media. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and basically talking about how, you know, he stunk so bad that therefore he was taken off in the 55th minute or something. I mean, it was at it. First of all, it was out of sheer necessity uh, that that he had to come off and, of course, give way to to Messi. Um, and second of all, I mean, I didn't see him do anything wrong in the first half. I thought that his touches were good. Uh, did he make any key passes for that matter? I don't think so. But all of his passes, all of his touches were good. Uh, and this is coming from a player that is not used to, as you pointed out, uh, playing in a starting 11. So, you know, it was a first for him of, of in that sense uh, of some sorts. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just kind of immediately when I logged on, I sort of logged back off again thinking, ah, you know, this is the reason why I try to uh, stay off of social media and ignore that so much because it, it completely painted just a, a different picture than, than what I had saw uh, when I than what I had seen or what I saw uh, during that game. So I'm happy to hear that you, in fact, uh, reflect my views. So so good on you. I don't um, think it's it's Pooch's fault that he didn't have his offensive metrics weren't great uh, because everything else was fantastic for him. And this is one of those games you go by the IFS, I think, because he was so yeah. his combination play with Busquets was really encouraging. His ball progression mm -hmm. was really encouraging. His movement off the ball to me was fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, nice shoulder shoulder feints and dips to create space for himself. He's press resistant. It, to me, he kind of picked right back up where he was last season because all these notes I had from him from the Betis game or the same notes I had from him like every game last season in that it just, it didn't look like he's lost momentum, which is also a great sign of maturity and, and his ability to deal with pressure, you know, in, for some other players, especially young players, for them to be, have their first start of the season so far into the season, it might take them a few games to actually rediscover themselves understandably, right. And get into rhythm. Exactly. But I, I feel like he didn't, he didn't need that. He just, he looked great right away. Yeah. Um, his intention was good. I always thought he was doing well to, to progress the ball. He has some really nice mm -hmm. touches, as you said. Um, I also think like 
you know, as a whole offensively, obviously Barcelona didn't create much in that first half, apart from that crazy long lay header miss that Alba with that beautiful cross. That was really their only moment offensively. Everything else was kind of just trying to build up and, and get into good positions. Obviously, Messi wasn't there in the first half. I think, if anything, if, you, if you're going to single out a midfielder, it's probably Pjanic in that first half who, who wasn't great. Um, so, that, I, you know, to me, this was the pooch, 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 pooch game. Actually, I would go... I, wouldn't, I would actually take the complete opposite view of what was said on social media. Again, I don't know what's said on social media about Barcelona, generally speaking, apart from a few Kool-Aids who just don't even follow me, who log on Twitter just to look up my tweets during a Barcelona game so they can disagree <laughs> with me. But, uh, but other than that, you know much better than me what is, what is said, right? So um, I would take the yeah, opposite. I, I think he was a standout. I thought he was fantastic. I agree. And, and I will go one step further even and, and, and remind those listeners or viewers in this case uh, that this was also a team where Kuman had to introduce four changes, right? I mean, uh, you had yeah. Braithwaite, Puch, Pjanic, uh, Mingueza gave his right back as well. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, you know, players playing out of position, players playing together that are not necessarily used to playing together from the start. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I took away only positives, really, uh, from that first half, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, and rightfully so, that there was a lack of goal scoring, clear goal scoring opportunities besides that long lay header, which when, when he missed that, I got to admit, I, like my heart sank a little bit and I was fearing the worst uh given the fact that the game started out pretty much right away right off the bat with you know that Araujo injury where I was thinking oh boy you know are this is this is going to be bad. is this going to be a, you know a, a turnaround for the worse um and I'm always very dramatic and drastic you know in my uh, emotional outburst and I was thinking that's it the season's going to go tits up and uh Betty's going to walk away here with a win and but um you know, again, I mean, that second half was was quite a performance, quite a spectacle because and, and I knew obviously that Messi would have an impact. I didn't know his impact would be that immediate. I mean, uh, again, quote me if I'm wrong or tell me if I'm wrong. But but I think his first touch was that goal uh, after yeah, so. having come on in, in two minutes. And uh, and I want to give credit to Dembele as well for for, you know, spotting Messi and and and. Ho- managing to keep a hold of the ball and dribbling with, with two feet with uh, two Betis defenders on him and then spotting Messi and make that little run into the, into the box. Because uh, I think also, again, Dembele had a lot to do with that and, and he had quite a, yeah, I would say a good game um, as, he, as he continues to do. So this, this match, man, it just, it just left me with, with a good taste in my mouth, in particular with the Champions League clash coming up. I got to say, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because, of course, we still have that vital uh, semifinal clash against Sevilla, again, an away game. So uh, it'll be the last. Uh, yeah, it'll be the last for quite a while because next week we'll play PSG at the Camp Nou and then the, the Copa as well. I think we've got some uh, home legs as well in La Liga. So that'll put the whole traveling uh, to a to stop as well. Um, which And I think this, you know, this Copa match will be quite something as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And Sevilla with a huge 3-0 win over Getafe. Not that Getafe are this um, crazy difficult opponent to beat this season, but Sevilla, that second half, Papa Gomez entrance was <laughs> perfect script. What a goal. Like, um, yeah. If look, if you're gonna go this deep into Copa del Rey, you better win it because otherwise, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you either in Copa you either go all the way or get out really fast so that you don't have to play all these unnecessary games. <laughs> if you're if yeah. you're getting to the semifinal, you better go all the way and win it. Um, yeah. In that case, the fact that Real Madrid like almost never win Copa, 
might as well get out as fast as possible. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I, I, I did want to say with, with regards to Barca too, I mean, Messi obviously did his thing and obviously the assists and I think it was the second or the winning goal. I can't remember the pass over the top um, was obviously fantastic too. The one where he, the, I don't know if it was a Trincao goal or the one before that where he dinks it over to the top to the left and, mm. uh, and then eventually gets squared back. Um, mm. <clears throat> so I also just wanted to say... Um, I kind of echo your sentiments about like so when when Araujo gets injured, and this is this is kind of like around the same time that I if I'm Barca, I'm getting worried about Mingueza's positioning because Guardado just has so much space to make a run in behind uh, against a, a makeshift right back. Mingueza obviously that's not his great, not his best position, and Emerson, um, obviously the Barcelona uh, player on loan who's who could play that position had had a decent game, but. Um, and, and and Borja Iglesias and Guardado both, I thought, could exploit that space in behind Minguesa. And then when I saw Rujo go out and De Jong playing the center back role, I also would have further concern because if you look at Betis's first goal, De Jong just his his positioning is out of whack. He doesn't, and you know, understandably, he's not his position. He doesn't really know where to be, but he just basically leaves his man the whole sequence. But this and he is gets that as well. And Mingueza too. Because Mingueza is the one that gets ahead. He's like more involved offensively. So he's completely out of position in that one. Here's what's interesting about De Jong. Obviously, he's reliable with the ball at his feet. I don't know if you know about this stat. You may, you may very well know about it. But he had 100% passing accuracy off the bench, which is the first time since 2005 a La Liga substitute has had that passing wow. accuracy. Mm. I'm assuming like like X amount of minutes minimum, because obviously there's been players who played one minute and had a hundred percent passing accuracy. But from what I understand, 2005, 2006 was the last time a player off the bench had that many minutes and had a hundred percent passing accuracy. So didn't know that obviously great on the ball. Yeah. Where'd you get that? Um, Possibly out of my ass, but I actually think (laughs) I, I saw it on Twitter. The hundred percent passing accuracy obviously is confirmed. That stats in 2005, I saw it on Twitter somewhere. Um, I'll probably dig it up in a second here just to, um, because that's what we do on Chutusi Tacticus. We're only facts and uh, and not fiction. So um, uh, I have to I actually have a very short window to record today because I have to be somewhere. But did, what did you want to What did you want to emphasize? There's also a question from our patron taps that uh, okay. we should take before we wrap it up. All right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's. Um, uh, my idea was sort of to transition over to Real Madrid by by quoting uh, Ronald Koeman from his previous so his second and last press conference when he was asked about you know could the condensed schedule and the injuries um or the potential injuries at the time is literally his literal phrase was you know i want to ask i want to make you know sort of a call out to la liga as well as uefa to rethink the whole scheduling for these matches because they are killing our players um i want to read out that quote because this last match day, we've had seen we've seen seven injuries take place in La Liga. Um, you know, obviously Araujo now out as well. Odrio Zola out for Real Madrid with the news of Ramos also going into surgery. So he'll be out for I think six weeks or something, four to six weeks, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Militao also but injured now. Militao injured as well. So um, you know, I guess 
and before we get into the match itself, I wanted to ask you, Kian, like now that the leader is gone for Real Madrid, in in your from your perspective, is that com comparable to Barca missing Messi, if not from an impact point of view? Because obviously, I mean, Messi is is they they play the opposite. Uh, uh, positions, uh, one is a goal scorer, one prevents goals, or, I mean, Ramos scores them as well uh, from the penalty spot. Uh, in fact, more often than not, more than Messi, I'm, I'm, I'm no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, his stats must be better, right, from the penalty spot than Messi. But in any case, is from a leadership standpoint, is that is that comparable? Um, are we, are we, is, is it, is it going to have a tremendous impact, you think, on, on the Real Madrid dressing room and, and when, they, when they tread onto the pitch? The impact is there. I'd also be, I, I'm, and I'm also keeping an eye on something else here too. And, and Ramos versus Messi. I mean, I think even the, the most hardcore Madridista would, would admit that Barca missing Messi is more detrimental to Real Madrid missing Ramos because Messi is just a greater game changer. But uh, I do think if I'm Real Madrid, I'm very, I'm very much monitoring how the defense and attack and the chemistry, the body language of the entire team does in these six weeks, because mm -hmm. they'll also be at a crossroads with him. They, um, with the contracts and stuff yeah. to see yeah. like, well, let's see how this team does without him for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And if it's better than we thought, maybe we have a little bit of leverage in negotiations or whatever. Um, that's, I think one thing they'll be looking at, but I do think, look, I, I think with, with Real Madrid, it will highly, be highly dependent on who else is on the field, right? If you have Carvajal on the team, that's a big plus. If you have Benzema on the team as well, that's a big plus. I think in Barcelona's, um, Barcelona's case, it's also a little bit different because they've already lost Piquet, who was the captain. They've already, I mean, and then years prior, they've lost Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol. So they've also lost all of these other captains. So to take Messi out, it seemed like there was no leadership at all. Suarez is also gone. Uh, with Real Madrid, I think it's going to be dependent on who else is on the field. I mean, uh, to be very fair, Nacho has been fantastic um, yeah. filling in for Ramos this season. So that's, that's going to be big. Um, I don't know how this goes, Diego. I really don't. Uh, February, I really hope it's not... Uh, I, I don't think Real Madrid is going to win the league title. They're already out of Copa. And for my sake, my selfish sake, I don't want them to be out in February either because I just don't want to have the season end so early for podcasting reasons, for writing, for just interest purposes. You know, I, I, mm. I, I want this team to go as far as they can. Um, mm. And, uh, And so I, I don't want this to, to be a, another disastrous February season. So Ramos being out is, is a huge nail in, not in the coffin because they're not dead and out yet, but it's a, it's a, it's a nail to deal with on the flip yeah, side. We, yeah. Mm. Go ahead. No, I, I don't want to, I have a follow up question now that you brought up the contract situation, but finish your thought if, if you want first. Cause I don't want to digress the, from the point. Just on the flip there. side. Like, I mean, we're talking about it. Uh, injuries, not really on the flip side, just uh, continuing on this injury discussion. Right now, Odriozola, Carvajal, Lucas Vasquez are all out. And I mean, did we, uh, before we started recording, the squad list came out. So I'm not sure exactly where Luca, Lucas Vasquez. Let me just take a quick look at the squad. But um, the bottom line is their, their wing backs situation is not great. So mm -hmm. yeah, Lucas Vasquez is still out. So 
another, and this goes back to the weekend. We had six subs, three of them goalkeepers. And, uh, and then we had uh, Victor uh, Schust and Marcelo and, and some other guys. East goes back now, so that's nice. Marvin Park was there. Um, this, this game, we have Ruben Blanco from Casilla, Sergio Arribas, Marvin, um, <clears throat> Chust, Altuve. Um, but again, like that right back position, I'm not sure what happens because we have our defensive line is Varan, Nacho, Marcelo, Mendy, Chust, and Miguel. So I'm not sure who plays right back in this situation. Very well, might be Mendy, Nacho, Varan, Marcelo is probably the most obvious solution with Mendy at right back. If that happens against Atalanta, I'm, I'm a little bit worried because um, I just, the, the difference between Carvajal on the field and off the field is dramatic. It really is. Um, you can look at the on and off stuff with him, mm-hmm. um, the stats, um, the points gained per game with and without him. Again, in football, that stat is very, you need to look at a bunch of different contexts. It's not like basketball. It's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to decipher, but if you if you don't have Carvajal against Atlanta, I'm I'm starting to I'll, I'll worry a little bit more. You know, it's it's mm. one thing to miss Ramos, but to miss Ramos and Carvajal is is disastrous. But yeah, you, what's your what was your follow up question? Um, well, I mean, first of all, let me just address what you just mentioned. I, I agree. I think you know Real Madrid's defense is in deep trouble. I feel like this team is just living off of uh, Toni Kroos, Casemiro, and Modric at the moment. With you know the 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 odd uh, spark from Asensio, I think actually played uh, pretty well, pretty yeah. decent against Wescan. Uh, yeah. And not to say uh, Benzema, who, who just, I mean. <laughs> that one shot uh, with what, what's Wiska's goalkeeper's name? I forget now, but where he like <laughs> he gets it. I thought he got it in the face. Thank God oh, it was against yeah. his chest. Yeah. But Benzema is always good for some some incredible goal uh, coming out of nowhere, really. Um, but but just to go back to the point, um, you brought up the contractual situation. Are, are we seeing like a kind of a Scotty Pippen thing going on here between Ramos and Real Madrid you remember Scotty Pippen when he famously uh, decided to get uh, uh, surgery when the season had just started um, in order to get you know to be paid while getting injury and uh, excuse me while getting surgery is 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 that uh, is that comparable is is it similar I mean did he have to go and get surgery because I read somewhere that he could have waited until the off season or something uh, of that nature but I'm not entirely sure but the Pippen situation was also different, right? Because he also refused to play when he came back. That was that was the thing, right? Was that the mm. same season? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, he just wanted out of his current contract and get paid better. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was a whole thing. I, I don't know if Ramos situations like that. I don't know if we have proof either way, but Zidane was saying that, you know, they looked at, they all consulted together. They looked at it from every angle and they decided that, you know, this it's better for him to get surgery now than to play through what he has. Mm-hmm. I'm no doctor. I'm not sitting there at the table with the discussion. I'm not, you know, if, if it's, if it's a different truth, then I don't know the answer to that. I think it's a different situation here with than Scotty, obviously, but um, sure, sure. as far as I understand it, it was better for him to get this done now than to play through it and possibly make it worse than it was. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the game before you got to run. Uh, got a couple of minutes left, I think. I mean, yeah. again, I, I put out a tweet last week saying, you know, how La Liga, and we discussed it on the pod as well, has got a plethora of uh, fantastic goalkeepers. Uh, Alvaro Fernandez, Huesca's goalkeeper, I think this uh, in this game showed it as well, proved that point, as well as Courtois, man. I think, the, you know, both 
both goalkeepers had some outstanding performances and prevented this game from from uh, having seeing more goals. And I also just mentioned, since we we're talking about goalkeepers, um, Edgar Badia in the in the Elche Villarreal game was unbelievable. Mm. And like there was a there was a stretch where Alcácer had like so many point blank opportunities, and they could have gone up three four nil, and Badia just amazing amazing saves over and over again i also just want to say impressed with elche's fighting spirit they were down 2-0 and they just went on this tear in the second half and and actually were a little bit unlucky not to even come away with the win um so really impressive stuff from them um i also just want to hit some other quick la liga things because we briefly mentioned papu gomez what a what a signing what an entrance to la liga unbelievable um Real Sociedad with a big win over the weekend, which which they really desperately needed something like that to get back on track. Like an emphatic win. And Oyarzabal getting getting into form with a couple goals there. Um that was a weird game, uh, Real yeah. Sociedad Cadiz. A lot of a lot of controversy coming out of that game. And if you look at it as well, I mean the penalty calls and non-penalty calls, excuse yeah. me, uh just <laughs> do nothing but add more confusion to this endless debate that is is it penalty or non penalty is a handball or not handball what is what is the criteria i um i i will always be bewildered by some of those decisions that are made not only in la liga but but across europe um there was something else maybe maybe that was that was most of it but um i'll yeah, give you something else yeah give me zizu came out in the press conference said next year Things will change. Things will have to change. Was that from today? That was today. No, excuse me. Know. That was no, 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 no. That was post post uh, Wesca. Uh, was he, he referring to himself leaving or cha- players changing? I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't remember that one for some reason. But uh, I haven't attended the last couple of Zizou post game press conferences. He also had one like before we started recording the pregame for tomorrow's yeah. game. Yeah, um yeah. where he said some things but it certainly was a different narrative than the the last pregame presser where he just went on a tear and asked for respect and stuff like that so um it's amazing what a what a what a huge victory over Huesca will do to your confidence all of a sudden uh, you can go into the press conference and feeling really good hey, about yourself listen i'll tell you what man i think the, don't don't joke about it i think it was a huge victory because before the match before this uh Huesca real madrid took place he was again in the hot seat being asked about this then the third and he flat out got angry and started firing shots at the press talking about um you know them leaking stuff or or basically indirect uh, uh comments and quotes referring to his job security or lack thereof and i mean many people interpret that as direct shots at the madrid board themselves uh for filtering out the potential signing of a new coach midway through the season so you know what i mean uh, i don't do this very often uh, especially not uh, on the podcast i do to my intimate madridista friends uh, of which you are one kian but i would i would not feel completely you know hopeless for what remains of the season for Real Madrid. Because so far, every time Zizou has come under fire, has come under pressure, has been up against the ropes, he's come out swinging and winning. Last time, or last uh, last night or two nights ago against Wisca was a big victory for him. Make no mistake about it. If they would have lost that, 
match, you know, we could have been talking about the firing of Zizou at the moment. Uh, there's, and there's been plenty more. The, the, the Clásico, the Champions League, uh, uh, you know, group matches where it was a must-win situation. Sevilla, Atlético de Madrid, the Derby. You know, every time Zizou's come out winning. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I expect nothing less from him at this point. It's not sustained enough. That's the problem. They can they come away from those disasters and those low points with immediate wins, but they don't they don't they don't sustain that winning enough. That's why they're ten points behind. It's it's not it's not enough for but, me. Well, it's it, it shouldn't be. I'm not saying you should be satisfied with what you're seeing. Well, what I am saying is you can probably expect Madrid to continue to fight in the Champions League. You know. I don't know, quarterfinal, semifinal, who knows? I mean, he's, he's, he's been proving all of his doubters wrong when push comes to shove and when, you know, when water reaches boiling point. Who knows, man? You might even end up winning it. <clears throat> I, will, I, I just feel dirty now. You're making me say all these nice things. I want to wash myself. I will never rule out Real Madrid winning the Champions League. You know that, despite how yeah, bad they are. Exactly. That there's, you, you just can't. There's a lot of variables this season, too. I mean, you get, again, a lot of people... Some people are worried about Atalanta. I'm not saying I'm not worried about them. That'd be, that'd be too arrogant, obviously. But they're playing South City still benefits Real Madrid. But I think they'll get past Atalanta. And after that, when you're talking about some of the variables, like Liverpool in a funk, um, yep. Juve is kind of hit or miss, you know, really, you know, it's up, in, it's up in the air. I honestly, I'm not even sure if PSG beats Barca. I mean, well, I'm a little more, a little more optimistic. Yeah. I fancy my chances a little bit more. Yeah. Did you say? Did you see Mbappe's goal over the weekend, where yes. he ran 36 kilometers per hour? And normally, I'd say like, you know, that happens in league and maybe in a, in a more defensive setup, he doesn't do that. But Barca play a high line, so I, you know, the difference between him and Borja Iglesias getting in behind somebody like Mingueza is night and day. So that'll be fun to watch. What are we getting close to those Champions League games? It must be close, right? Yes, it's here, man. It's here. Is it like next week? Mhm. Next week. Like actually next, next week. week? Next next week. Like this is next February 16th. Week. Okay. Valentine's Day, baby. Sometimes I like just, just wake up and I'm like, "Oh, it's Champions League this week and I just forget because <laughs> there's so much happening." <laughs> so yeah, 16th uh and you guys play on the 16th on a Tuesday. Yeah, just after after Valentine's. Can't wait. Can't wait. I just want something a little bit more exciting than what we have right now. It's not exciting enough. It's not exciting. I don't know, man. It's just pretty exciting for me. Just, I've been on the edge of my seat with Barca yeah, matches. Recently. I think you have a little bit more fun watching Barca than I do watching Real. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, Yo, you don't like Varane sort of stumbling and putting in a goal. You don't enjoy it. Hey, don't don't diss <laughs> my boy. He has that. Those were graceful goals. <laughs> Um, there's a quick uh, a, a patron question all right that i think we should take patreon.com churrositacticas whether you're listening to this on audio or watching this on youtube because it'll be uploaded on youtube the video version where diego and i are actually on camera so you can watch that on youtube um patreon.com churrositacticas we're going to record episode every friday diego and i talked about it this morning we're sorry we missed the last friday and the other fridays this season we decided the show goes on every Friday and Monday, no matter what. Even if one of us can't record, the other one will record either by ourselves or with somebody else. So patreon.com slash for more bonus content. And this Friday, we'll actually have midweek La Liga games to talk about because uh, there's games Tuesday, Wednesday, and even tonight, Atletico play against Celta. So yes, um, Tapiwa Musa, our patron, says, Taps. 
What are your thoughts on some of the most annoying managers to have ever graced La Liga? And by that, I mean any criteria, be it attitude, tactics, behavior, anything that makes you just want to yell at, then get on with it. This question comes to me in light of another Antonio Conte outburst at the inter, inter board, claiming they never backed him uh, when they let him handpick virtually all the signings he's had at Inter during his tenure. But it seems Conte, as we've seen from his track record, never just wants to put his hands up and take blame when things aren't working, always deflecting or taking the victim position. So yeah, just got me thinking who we would deem as annoying as Conte in La Liga over the years. Um, uh, like right, right when you read the question, the first name that popped into my mind and I almost feel bad because I, I do have, a, I, I like him. I like Javier Clemente, okay? That's the first for some okay. reason, the first one that came to my mind, even before Mourinho, mind you, um, because sometimes I, mean, I I just feel like he 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 just likes to stir the pot and 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 stir up stir shit up just for the for the for the sake of stirring shit up. I mean, sometimes I I agree with what he says. It's usually referred to Real Madrid and whatever's going on there. Uh, but when the barrel's facing your face and he's taking shots, then all of a sudden it stops being funny. No, but having said that, I mean, I do have a lot of love for Javier Clemente. I think, you know, it, it's um, he, he's, he's a treasure of uh, Spanish football. He's somebody to be cherished. And you would make a hell of a, you know, a, a 30 for 30 documentary, I'm sure. But just sometimes he, he, I think he goes overboard with his statements. Um, and just for the sake, I think, of, of you know, for creating headlines, really. Um, I don't know. Then another one, I mean, I, I mentioned Mourinho. I think that that's a given, right? I mean, who doesn't agree uh, with me on that one? I know you certainly will, <laughs> Kian. Um, I don't know, Kian. Paco Gemeth, maybe. Paco Gemeth, another feisty coach that um, when he was at Rayo, where else was he at? I mean, he, he, he was, uh, yeah, just somebody who more often than not, you'd see fighting and, 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 and creating headlines, uh, fighting with, with journalists and creating headlines uh, sort of for no particular reason. Um, uh, I don't know. Those three are sort of just popped into my head now. I can come up with more. I mean... <laughs> Well, this... I mean, Louis van Gaal back in the day was kind of somebody where you're sometimes like, Ey. yeah, uh, I find him. But I'm, ma- I'm, I'm mainly I'm mainly referring to press conferences here. You know, I have I've no idea they're like in training sessions or how they motivate their team, their players. And, you know, so or, or their their tactics out. In the field. Mira, look, if it comes to tactics out in the field, I probably choose Bordalas. Uh, Bordalas is, is, is when it comes purely from a, from a tactical point of view, somebody I cannot agree with and, and annoys me greatly. Yes. I had difficulty to even think about answers to this question because it, it's not, I don't really get annoyed that much by, by managers. I just feel like a lot of, a lot of our annoyance with managers has to do with our emotions in the moment reacting to something they said or a tactical thing. But then kind of like, you know, you move on and you realize, okay, well, no one's perfect or whatever. I, just, I don't get it. The, the funny thing with me is I think I get more annoyed by Real Madrid managers, mostly because they're in my lives often, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of some people are annoyed with somebody like Unai Emery, for example, but I don't get annoyed by him because I'm not often like exposed to him doing things that might annoy me. Yeah. Um, I get annoyed by somebody like Bern Schuster coming out and saying, you know, we can't compete with Barcelona. We're not good. You know, like stuff like that annoys me. Right. 
Um, or when Zidane <laughs> comes great. out and says every game we suffered, then we built, we have character and all this, the same cookie cutter answer that annoys me. Um, I think if like, if we get Xavi coaching Barcelona, that would annoy me probably. Right. <laughs> uh pep was very annoying to me during kicking the, your ass when pep when pep versus Mourinho thing that whole thing pep was annoying to me constantly but i don't find him an annoying anymore i actually have a lot of admiration for pep now and actually everything he says a lot of the stuff i i, I deeply agree with and i resonate with i posted a quote of his that i really enjoyed yet just yesterday oh right well, what did it say um he was just talking about like football is always evolving and that uh, what worked last year doesn't necessarily work this year. What didn't work last year may work this year. And there's no like, it, it's just always changing. We can't say that it, something is, and, and this part I'm, I'm kind of going to paraphrase, but like what he was implying was that we can't, something that is the truth one year is not necessarily the truth the next year, right? So it's always changing. You know, it, it, something may there work no now, but truth. it may not work right. later. Something may not work now, but it may work later. It depends, right? right. Um, and, and I just feel like I post that because I feel like too many fans just think that there's always, it's always a certain way all the time. Like, you know, if mm-hmm. this player is good in this context, it means he has to play here and here and here or do this. And it's just, everything is different. It's always evolving. He called it an animal. It's on, it's an old, it's a mo- animal that's always moving or something like that. I really enjoyed the quotes I posted it. Uh, anyway. So I, I bottom line is I don't really find things too annoying these days. I don't, maybe it's because I'm older and I just don't get annoyed as much as I used to. Yeah. And, I don't know. And I, I, uh, and I got to say, like, I mean, now reflecting on, on my the, the coaches I was given, I much prefer a coach to speak his mind as opposed to giving those, uh, what did you call it, cookie cutter, yeah. cookie dough cutter answers where it's like every team is difficult. We respect our opponent. We're going to be ready. We have to train very hard. I mean, it's press conferences become very stale to cover uh, when you're always given the politically correct answer. So, you know, I do applaud all of these managers that, that do speak their mind and, and, you know, uh, shaking things up a bit. I will say this. Um, I actually like, but the Conte example is a good one of like things that something you can legitimately be annoyed by because he really mm-hmm. does always complain about the club and it's never about like what he did wrong. Klopp right. had a Klopp had one yesterday, I think, that a lot of people yes. were angry about, right? And Klopp is yeah. someone who can get really annoying because every single time he loses, it's because of the pitch, the wind, the referee. It's and he's always like, "We were, we would deserve to win." It's like, I like the yeah, sim. Yeah, I prefer yeah, yeah. the Simeone approach. I I've always liked Simeone because he's always been like, when his team loses, he's always like, "They were better." we lost we you know he's never he never bullshits like these things he always like admits that he could have been better and that i always respected that about him right he never Mm -hmm. blames external factors for when his team loses that's why i like yeah yeah yeah. yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Klopp was very classless in his answer to the journalist that asked him, you know, yeah. whether the title race was over and if he's gunning for for a top four finish. And uh, yeah, gave a pretty. Uh, he also got uh, mad at the journalist because the journalist said you're behind ten points with a uh, and City have a game in hand or something. Right. And he was mad, even though the journalist was right. He was mad, saying something like, "No, it's thirteen points because City." Are gonna... I don't. It was something really weird. Uh, I, I only That's read right, the transcript. I didn't. I didn't actually watch it or listen to it. So I, I've been a little bit fuzzy mm-hmm. on the details. But it seemed like an annoying, a weird thing to be annoyed about. Yeah, uh, we got to wrap it up here, Diego. Uh, yeah, 
Appreciate you. We will be back Friday over on patreon.com. Follow follow Keon Sobani, follow Churros Tacticas without the Y on Twitter. We'll be back Friday. Signing off. Take care, my friend. Peace, peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.